0: (laughs) Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast pottering around the classy, non-tradable substances supplier of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles, two of whom also lack the certain necessary qualities to be a prefect... My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing?
1: Well, you, you hit us coming and going with that one, comparing us to prefects and also <laughs> or not comparing us to anti prefects and also among dungus. I feel <laughs> remarkably flattered right now. Thank head you. on a swivel,
0: head on a swivel. <laughs> um, so we are here in the—is it the ninth chapter? Yeah, yeah, what, ninth The chapter, ninth chapter of the, the of, of, the fifth of book Mrs. Weasley. Of, yes, the woes of of Mrs. Weasley. Uh, kind of a lot happens in this chapter, I feel like, or at least a lot of information we get. It's a surprisingly long chapter. This doesn't, this feels like an end chapter length, mm-hmm.
2: not a early mm-hmm. chapter length, um, mm-hmm. which thoroughly excites me with your, uh, impending recap.
0: Yes, which is one of the segments that we do here. We do have a rapid fire recap. We'll see. Uh, then we have, uh, BJ's Wizard Wheezes As and Newbie's Notes. We'll see. we'll see. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see. Uh, newbie's notes with Spencer and increasingly mm-hmm. BJ, so maybe that's where we'll we'll focus our efforts. Uh, we award house points, and then there are questions and and queries. Uh, there's and nothing quibbles, to ask questions on.
2: It's fine. This is yeah. this is a chapter that doesn't really cover anything interesting. I wouldn't wouldn't worry about it.
0: Nope. We'll just move right along. <sharp inhale> yeah. So are are we gonna start with the re- with the recap?
1: Well, yeah, Sarah, you have my sympathies. Even my you know newbie's notes, I had to edit down twice to make them somewhat reasonable. <laughs> This is—it's not only a lore dump; it's just a lot of material around a lore dump at various times here.
0: Yeah, I don't. uh, We'll see. We'll see how the—the the real question is how BJ feels about this recap once it is done. Uh, The recap will happen. I think I can get it under two minutes. I don't know what the—I don't know what the Since response clearly, to it will be. Uh,
2: Given the chapter's nomination, the prefect of the group, I will have deciding power. <laughs> mm. <laughs>
1: I I, I I can imagine this is going to boil down to is your description of a character going through an emotional response sufficient because we get a lot of that on very different very, various different angles yeah. for various different reasons
0: no and i'm sure it will not be but whatever i've decided i don't care I, um
1: i believe in you sarah <laughs> thanks problem. do you have a bet or just two minutes or hell, or hell water
0: i so i think i am gonna go i i think i didn't do a I did do a bet last time. I just remembered. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do a bet, but this is kind of the, because I'm just trying to get it under two minutes, I'm going to do the 155, and um, I might as well bet, because we're all in at this point.
1: You've been very sparing with it so far, this book, and I've appreciated it. It's perfectly fine for this chapter. Okay. All right. timer is ready when you are.
0: Perry stumbles out of the dungeon and runs directly into Mr. Weasley, who's thrilled he's been cleared, but can't believe it when the whole wizen gamut files out. Fudge and Percy leave last, with Percy completely ignoring his father. As they leave, they come across Fudge again, talking to Lucius Malfoy, the two of whom seem thick as thieves. There's talk of whether Fudge has been imperious by the Death Eaters and Dumbledore, um, but Dumbledore thinks he's acting on his own. On the way out, Harry dumps all his money in the fountain. Back at Grimmel Place, the mood is cel- celebratory, although Harry's uh, scar prickles during dinner and he's still puzzled about Dumbledore. As the week goes on though, Sirius becomes increasingly reserved. Hermione thinks this, that he was half hoping Harry would get kicked out and get to stay with him. But Harry's thrilled about returning to Hogwarts. Uh, the order of the Phoenix headquarters aren't actually as exciting as you would think um the book lists come and there's much speculation about who the new defense against the dark arts teacher is with the list also comes the prefect assignments for gryffindor it's hermione and ron the twins are stunned as is hermione they all thought it would be harry which annoys ron mrs weasley is beyond thrilled when ron leaves to tell his mom what broom he wants as a reward and hermione to send an owl to her parents harry gets real broody in his heart of hearts he knows he's faced more than they have and thought it should be him but he puts on a brave face and eventually heads down to the party. Mad-Eye confirms that it's a bogart in the writing desk, and Molly says she'll deal with it later. There's much toasting and talk of who was or wasn't a prefect around the table. In the midst of things, Fred and George reveal to Harry that Mundungus has been their supplier for certain classy, non-tradable substances. There's also chatter among the Order about why Dumbledore didn't make Harry a prefect. Molly heads up to deal with the boggart, and Moody calls Harry over to show him a picture of the original Order of the Phoenix, many of whom were blown to pieces, tortured, or otherwise gone. As Harry escapes to bed, he comes across Mrs. Weasley in the drawing room, sobbing, trying to cast Ridiculous at a boggart that keeps, tu- that keeps turning again and again into the dead bodies of her family members. Finally, Lupin, Sirius, and Moody uh, get there to take care of it, but she's having a full-on meltdown. It's Lupin, of course, who makes her feel better. Harry escapes to bed feeling extremely old and falls asleep with his scar hurting. Well done. Whew!
1: With a, with a couple seconds to spare.
0: 156-something-something? Yeah 156-53. Excellent. Um, yeah, this is, this chapter is a lot. It is a lot. And,
2: um, I mean, I think before I, I go into the the minor wheezes that I have, I think it's, mm. uh, and I guess we'll probably talk more about this in newbies. notes. it's, it's, I think wheezes are going to get to a certain extent a little bit harder because this, this chapter feels like the biggest turning point in the books that we've had so far. Mm-hmm. This is, yes. Yes. uh, characters being adult and emotional and in ways that we haven't had before and a very distinct tone change, even from the last book, which was a distinct tone change from the first three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from a lot of what we've had in, in the first eight chapters. Um,
0: yeah. And so maybe uh, maybe this is the point at which we get to that theory of like trilogy, bridge book, trilogy, right? Yeah.
1: Uh, BJ I'm right there with you this may be one of my like top five favorite chapters we've done yet because I love the maturity Mm -hmm. I love the themes and this has one of my favorite scenes in the entire books just sprinkled in there for good measure so I'm right there with it and was very fond of the it's been a building tonal shift throughout several books but particularly this book but I think this one really crystallizes it in terms of setting the stage for where the story is going from here
0: and are you going to get to what that scene was in your notes when we get there?
1: No, I'm just going to completely ignore that point and never return to it. So. That, that, Perfect. That, yeah, that, that is, is very J.K. Podcast, Rowland, podcast so. professional.
0: <laughs> in
1: eight chapters, we may get there. I'm going to reference I'll, it for each of the next episodes. I'll put my we'll red it. strings up. Mine are <laughs> just
0: Spencer referencing things that he never returns to. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, BJ, what, what, what are you wheezing about?
2: So uh, I'm actually very curious. Sarah, do you have your book in front of you?
0: I do, yeah. Um,
2: So it's uh, probably a couple of pages in. It's uh, Arthur Weasley talking uh, about uh, Lucius Malfoy after they met him. Uh, We have what seems to be kind of a paragraph sentence, but also a typographical mistake, perhaps. Mm. And I'm just sort of curious if it uh, ends up in print as well. Okay. Uh, It's gold, I expect. Uh, Okay. Gold I expect, comma, open quote, said Mr. Weasley angrily, period, quote, Malfoy been given, uh, been giving generously to all sorts of things for years, four dot ellipses, gets him in with the right people, three dot ellipses, then he can ask for favors, three dot ellipses, delay laws he doesn't want passed, three dot ellipses, capital O-O, comma, he's very well connected, comma, Lucius Malfoy, three dot ellipses.
0: Four dot ellipses at the end, yes, but that that one three dot ellipses before the capital O-O should, in fact, be a four dot ellipses because that would have been the end of a sentence. Yeah, but I I have
2: both three dot ellipses for those.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, I have a four dot and then I, or I'm sorry, I I have a three dot there and then then I have a four four dot dot at at the end. end. Yeah.
2: Yeah. so the other thought thing that I thought was very interesting is that uh, Moody also seems to have a very heavy ellipsis heavy way of talking. and mm. I, I guess I wonder if that's sort of supposed to be he's a little old and wheezy. Um, but I feel like we like I don't know how he's portrayed in the movies or, or like mm-hmm. what what that's supposed to be because I kind of got that like after he was in the box for mm-hmm. nine months like. He was sort of a little bit of a shadow of his former self.
0: Yeah, I think that might be possible. So he's not really portrayed like this in the movies. Yeah. Um, So I think that we would just be kind of doing some book speculation. I think it might be that. I also wonder, too, that, you know, yes, Moody is with his sort of friends and allies here. But I think that the way that we have seen him portrayed and the characterization we have been given of him is that, like, even if you are his friend and or ally, He's also super wary of what he should tell you at any given point. Right. Um, Constant vigilance. Constant vigilance, Well, that's not him.
2: Um, It
1: it is regardless. uh, But The acting was so good, it informed the characters. Yeah, we had real method acting going on.
2: The other side of it is, like, what he was talking about at the end, where there were just ellipses put in, like, an over-salted mashed potatoes, (laughs) it was... Uh, him going over the people in the photo. So I could see yes. them, him reminiscing and also having like a tough time going through it. Um, and, you know, maybe being a little bit further into his hip flask than we might have otherwise expected.
0: I was going to say, we did get descriptions of people being given drinks um, over the course yes. of this chapter. So it's unclear exactly how much time has passed, but you never know.
2: Um, Prefect Ickle, Ronnie the Prefect <laughs> is something that needs to be said out loud. Um and slightly shuddered at, I think. Um, <laughs> I think they also just didn't know what to say. Like, they were trying to figure out a way to make fun of him. And there's, there's just like, okay, we have to do this in the moment. And that was sort of the what they came up with. And it landed well enough, but it still wasn't, like, great. They workshop um, their the, material for this exactly. later. They get better. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have. I have a lot more stuff for, for newbies notes and things to, to talk about that I, that I did preview uh, a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, I think let's let's just slide into uh, some newbies notes.
0: All right.
1: So, sounds good. I mean, we start with the point of, of a question I raised last chapter of where was the, was the wizened gamut that we saw normal? Mm-hmm. Was the procedures we saw within keeping? And we pretty much open with Arthur saying, you were in front of a full court? I, uh? I mean, yeah. this this kind of feels like the difference between, like, normal
2: court and the Supreme Court, where, like, all normal court procedures have absolutely nothing to do with, like, the, the crazy shit that you do in the Supreme Court, and that's its own rigmarole, and, and it's just a different beast.
0: Yeah. I, and I did. I wanted to give just a couple of things on the Wizen Gamut. I said I was going to do a full report the last um, the last episode that we did. I'm not going to do a Please. full report, but we did have questions about when was the Wizen Gamut created? Because mm-hmm. we had this kind of idea that it's either super super old or it was kind of done in response to more more recent yeah. events. So the Wizen Gamut actually predated the British Ministry of Magic. Um, oh, wow. The The Wizen Gamut was in, has been in effect since 1544. And then the Ministry of Magic was established in 1707. And at that point, it was kind of folded into that Department of Magical Law Enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first minute, the kind of intersection there is that the first Minister for ma- Magic in the 1700s was um, named Ulick Gamp. And he had previously been Chief Warlock of the, of the Wizen Gamut. Um, so both of these institutions are very old. The Gamut is, like, maybe arguably has much more sort of power and influence than the sort of idea of than the bureaucracy of the Ministry of Magic. Um, mm-hmm. But mean, it has—it's been a—it's—it it, seems like one of those things that, like, actually this is the basis for Wizard Law in in Britain the anyway. Yeah.
2: So yeah. it's interesting that you say that because I would have said that 1500s w- was new
0: hmm well but, yeah yeah but in the kind co- I i take your point yeah because it could have easily been like well this dates back to the celts doing <laughs> how old is hogwarts <laughs> um let me make sure that i have the right answer to that okay spencer
1: Yep. more notes B, 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 well bj i was right there with you where i was kind of assuming so was Merlin on the original court kind of old are we talking about yeah it? i mean that that was sort of yeah. like where where
2: i was leaning like okay this would make sense but yeah
0: Okay, and so Hogwarts predated them both. It was founded in the 10th century.
2: Yeah, that that felt a little bit more. Yeah, what I would have expected. So, so for 500 years, shit was crazy. Yeah,
1: I, yeah, that, I enjoyed that the essentially. Right. I I, I, would, I would be fascinated to read about essentially the Warring States period of wiz, of wizarding history that was mm-hmm. apparently the you know multi hundred year period that was going on there. Mm-hmm. I adore Lucius Malfoy being so openly brazen about being a villain and it just being fine. It's like, this this is a delightful statement of institutionalized power that he can just be openly a Death Eater. Pretty much. Just straight up telling, oh, look at all the situations you've snaked your way out of. How fascinating. It's like... Brazenly bribing people in the open uh, open alcoves mm-hmm. discussing his prior misdeeds without there being any problems about it at all and it feels appropriate given the aristocratic background that's kind of bleeding into this that he is basically Im- um, above and immune from prosecution he always has been he can't picture or operate in a world where he wouldn't be and that's informing just how casually he's just talking with fudge after the meeting and then confronting harry after afterwards too and I love how. Sorry, I was sorry. just
0: gonna say I love how we had this entire conversation about like is Fudge ultimately evil or just misguided and power hungry in the last chapter, and I this this was coming this this moment was coming. I don't know that it answers it the question, but it's an interesting sort of <laughs> addition to. I, I think it muddies it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I think it muddies it. I love the discussion that we get between the characters of trying to unpack what Harry just saw, of where Harry's meat responses. Well, how do we know he's not under the Imperius curse or something? <laughs> Arthur's response I love is, yeah, we've been kind of worried about that. Maybe. We don't really have a way of knowing. But we think not. <laughs> because we, we think not. But, we think I think it's just bribery.
2: And I think that this is sort of one of the first places where we get sort of mundane evil.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and Harry isn't quite prepared to tackle that.
1: I, I, mm-hmm. I, was, I was legitimately still impressed with Harry that his mind immediately went to the Imperius curse. That's a pretty, you know, advanced enough move for Harry to at least ponder openly in that kind of moment. But, BJ, like you said, I love that he can't even just conceptualize the idea of just political bribery and machinations being, you know, what's actually still driving things. It's like, it doesn't all have to be dark wizards that are, you know, rising to overthrow governments. There's also just the baseline corruption that all civil society operates under and you just got to see a taste of it. Welcome to maturity. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I enjoy as well the kind of weird, almost intimate relationship that Harry has with the Death Eaters that when Lucius makes snake-like references to Harry, it is kind of unique to Harry because he has that kind of just joining at the hip with Voldemort and that kind of shared history and Slytherin-y kind of connections that are going into it too. So
2: I think he's also referring to the parcel tongue.
1: Mm -hmm. that's part of it too yeah i mean harry is steeped in their cause he's not affiliated with their cause but he has in many ways greater connections to them than most of the most of the death eaters presumably do i also wonder if
2: a different author i think would have uh done like a you know your uh snake something like snake oil tongue to get out of the (laughs) like the things that you said in the courtroom or something a little bit more i don't know sideways reference to the
1: parcel tongue yeah, the, uh, the wriggle your way out of tight holes. I very much yeah. expected you to make a reference to that one, BJ, and you know, Wizard Wheezes, but, you know, I was abused you didn't. Um,
0: well, here we are, Spencer. Thank you yeah, for... Uh, let, 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 let
1: me express my surprise about it not being referenced by referencing it. I'm mm-hmm. here for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, I, it's not exactly subtle, but it's still, it's still more subtle than we've seen in the past. Harry walking up to the statues and observing the inherent fiction in them mm-hmm. is a delightful little scene mm-hmm. of just seeing the inherent falseness of each of the images. Seeing how much it just feeds into a necessary narrative and realizing that is, again, se- one of several moments of maturity we get out of Harry of being able to see beyond the facade in a way he's never really been able to in the past. For boys growing up, and that's a moment of demonstrating that. It's a delightful moment of <laughs> unpacking this statue that we've been referencing now for three or four chapters. I like Hermione's read on Sirius, and I don't think she's wrong in terms of how she's unpacking it. Mm-hmm. In that, particularly, particularly since we get to see Harry go through his own version of it not like five pages later, of where Sirius is having a selfish moment, he knows it, and he's trying to in some ways distance himself from it by distancing himself from the source of the issue of it, and it being rooted in being lonely for a very long time, and I love the sympathy that's tying into Hermione's line when she does that. She's calling out a negative aspect to his character, but she's not doing it from a negative place. Where she's actually kind of analyzing the roots in a way that, of our three, I think only is really fully capable of. It was a nice way of unpacking that kind of very human response, and I love that it's, mir- it's mirrored in Harry later. Uh... I will also say that every single time they talk about buying textbooks each year, I have PTSD from having to do that back <laughs> in school. And just the utter pain and expense of that experience every single time. Hence why I still haven't thrown the damn things out given the hundreds and thousands of dollars I spent on the <laughs>
2: Also interesting that they only had to do two, because I feel like there was sort of this, like, you had to buy tons of books, like, your first year or two, and then, Mm -hmm. like, there was sort of a dip, and then, like, it went way up as you got into, like, your really specialty classes, so, you know, maybe in the next, maybe next book is when they just, like, everything completely
1: new, we're not doing basic spells, it's not one (laughs) book that can cover stuff, like... I I almost wonder if it's mirroring the law school experience where the first two years were incredibly expensive because you were doing history and theory Mm -hmm. and the process of prior cases. And then your last year or so actually got cheaper because it was all skills courses. And and the skills courses, you didn't work off a textbook. You worked and learned directly from somebody with experience.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Which actually made it a much cheaper experience Mm -hmm. for those years. I, I think this is Hermione's most effective spew speech yet. I think her timing was on point. I think her references to their own now shared experience were well done. In terms of marketing... Our girl Hermione is improving. That was the right both speech and the right timing for it to get everybody on board. And she's also... She did a summer work.
0: course.
2: Yeah, she's also wormed her way into what... Into Harry, basically, because he did think about it with the statuary.
0: Yeah, he might her not mother. agree with, like, her tactics or what, you know, what her ultimate plan... But he she certainly has him thinking about, what does this mean in the world? How are we misrepresenting this in some ways? Mm-hmm. Um and what, is it, what does it mean that these are the narratives we're perpetuating? So, I mean, good and, it, and it's
2: a significant parallel to the difference between the Malfoys and, uh, you know, the Grangers, say. Yes, sure.
0: yes.
1: In many ways, Harry's in a better position to understand it than Hermione or everybody else is. He's got more, more close relations and behind-the-scenes interactions with house elves than anybody else of our main cast, other than maybe Dumbledore, but who the hell knows. I mean, but Dobby was... Uh, Dobby's unique, but Dobby has himself provided connections to other, I'll say, more traditional house elves. Yes, yes. Uh, I, what In terms of, like, in-jokes in the story or repeated motif kind of jokes, I love that Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher is now viewed as, like, an Alaskan crab fisherman in terms of just <laughs> the rates of rates and risks of mortality as part of your job. It's just, everyone's on the same page of what I'm oh, this probably means we got to do Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Who the hell signed up for that job? they even went through a list of, like, what, what was it? One's fired, one's got his memory wiped, one's just straight-up dead. It's like, yeah, see how the next one fares.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ron as Prefect. Sarah, you already referenced, and your tone embodied all of my feelings about, we're kind of at the same point as the in-universe cast of where, well, I didn't see that one coming of the options available.
2: I have a uh, suggestion for that. Please. Uh. So it sounded like the head of the house gets to... Uh, make that decision, or is it Dumbledore that makes the prefect decision?
0: It's Dumbledore. Okay, it was
2: Dumbledore. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you Dumbled- might have input from the heads of houses, but um... okay,
2: yeah, because like they mentioned something about the head of the house in terms of the prefect, and I just didn't remember exactly like where that was. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been a recommendation. Um, anyway, yeah. I my theory is that uh, Dumbledore ships Hermione and Ron. <laughs>
1: They'll have to work closely together. This is how romance forms. I mean, but
2: also, I I think that of all of the people that could be paired with Hermione, because I think Hermione is like an obvious choice. Yeah. Ron will get the most out of it in terms of like, not being a little shit anymore.
0: Yes. And he also like, to be fair, Ron might temper some of Hermione's worst instincts. Right. As far as... Rule following and what that means goes. And also, we've seen her
2: break it, but Harry doesn't have the time to be a prefect. Like, I I think that there are a lot of things that that Harry in the moment can't think about, but like.
1: It's in that moment of where I found it very interesting how we see Hermione's. Realization that Ron is now a prefect of where her first immediate response is to assume that Harry got the job and be really excited with him because in some ways the two of them kind of mirror each other, at least in that aspect of things, more than her and Ron. Mm-hmm. And her complete foot-in-mouth response to Ron is just epic. Yeah. Of where it's not even just, not even just like on her face. She says it out loud and has to eat the words <laughs> with respect to it. Um, I, I, was, I was surprised but I kind of actually loved Ron's reaction to it. I don't often see him as a humble man of small, quiet ambition until I see these kind of moments play out, because he hasn't had that many of them. But then I remembered, wait, I guess, when was the Mirror of, Ari- of Arizid? Was that book
0: one? Yeah, that was be- way back in book one, yeah. You remember what Ron saw in the mirror? Yeah, he was holding the house, he was on his own, Holding the house he, cup away from his family, like getting that sort of distinguished, and he—I think he had a pre- what, prefect the, bag, badger, head of house. Um, I, I head went boy. back and checked.
1: He—he he was head boy, and he, he was the Quidditch cup captain. And his immediate response to becoming a prefect is, "Can I have a new broom?" Mm-hmm. I love, and he had the most grounded response to looking in the mirror, and I love that that's effectively mirrored here in terms of his accomplishments. He is a humble person both family background and from experience and being otherwise kind of overshadowed by his two friends. And there's a certain charm to that and there's a certain honor in it. And I think that maybe in some ways Dumbledore is recognizing that, that maybe I don't want somebody that's obsessed with themselves. Maybe I don't want somebody that thinks that they are the gods gifting mankind. A person who, a person who will appreciate this job and be proud of it for the job. Hey, Arthur's done well with it. Maybe, maybe his son will do well too. And also Ron's been overshadowed by
2: a bunch of his brothers in different ways and I think sure. he had a very adult moment of... He was very resentful of his family's position previously. And I feel mm-hmm. like the exposure to Percy being Weatherby has made it so he's a lot more accepting of, like, how his sure. family is, what, like, what their resources are, and just, like, hey, like, hey I under Like, I, I get that money's tight, and so, like... But this would be really nice. And I think that there are brooms that, like, we probably could manage that I would be super happy with. And, like,
1: he just, he gets it. He still wants it. And, and, but, like, he gets it. I love you mentioned that because I loved how little resentment, how little just chip on his shoulder was playing into those lines. It was such a much more measured... Understanding of his uh, understanding of his family, and appreciating his family response in a way that we haven't seen of him previously. Mm-hmm. They're all grown up, but Ron is in some ways doing it almost faster than his peers. Uh, I also adore Molly's response in terms of, "Oh, this means everyone in the family's been a prefect," with Fred
0: and George right there, <laughs> just like mom.
1: <laughs> the hell
0: they did. She, they they had recovered themselves enough by this point to have a very funny response to that. In the sort yeah. of like, "What are we neighbors?" Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> Before that, they were mocking.
1: After that, they were just straight up indignant and kind of sulked off to their room. Mm -hmm. Just like, I didn't want it anyway. (laughs) Um, I, I said, I adore Harry's reaction. It's so human to see him go, so have that just green with envy moment and just questioning why the world isn't honoring him as much as he feels as he's entitled to. It's a very appropriately self-absorbed human response to this kind of moment. He's... And even the little resentful voice that's playing in his head, just kind of questioning why he isn't giving his just desserts when it comes to this. But it's still ending with him, as Harry often does, fighting his way through to do the right thing and go up to his friend and give him what was. Even if it took a bit of pulling, an honest, appreciative, you know, supporting response was great. I I have been through those kind of moments of just, Chattering my teeth with either jealousy or whatever else, but still feeling the need to do the appropriate friend thing. And that was that was well played out. Mm-hmm. I, I also helped I also enjoyed that that part of his processing was through the learned experience of the prior experience of his father's generation. Of just realizing that as much as he's idolized his parents and his dad and assumed his dad accomplished all things, no, of course his dad didn't get the job. His dad was in the exact same position of you among his friend group. Obviously, he wasn't going to be a prefect. I mean, maybe not Obviously even him. Lupin I think
2: was. He, he was even more like Fred and George, because yeah. I mean, like the whole Marauders map, having mm-hmm. the cloak of invisibility, mm-hmm. uh, just sorry a whole much. bunch of things. So it was just like, mm, no, yeah, now Hermione is Lupin. Uh, I, I think Harry might be a little bit more like serious. Honestly,
1: mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry to jump ahead and ask a question. Do we know who was Lupin's peer? Oh, that who was we would be aware of?
0: no i don't know that we ever i don't know that we ever get that information who the sort of female prefect with him was i no
1: okay uh now coming to what i already referenced as one of my favorite scenes um unpacking the picture and going through the me- people that are on the picture of the original order of the phoenix is an absolutely wonderful scene it's like a world war one veteran going through the pals battalion and describing what happened to an entire generation And just the trauma of that, like B.J. you said, the pauses that are going through as Mad-Eye is describing this. The what he says and what he doesn't as he goes through each person. And Harry, having just come to terms with what war means and what the cost of it is, it's just finally driving home what the casualties have been. And in some ways, almost explains Fudge's reaction better than anything we've had previously. This is from a different angle of where I've always kind of imagined Fudge in my mind physically as looking like a Neville Chamberlain kind of figure, and this just sets him up to be that, of where he and everybody else was in a generation of where, if we look at the Order of Phoenix's representative, like 60% of them died violently in terms of what they lived through, what the last war meant. Wanting to do everything possible to avoid that and bury your head in the sand is, from our outside gaze, a horrendous reaction that will accomplish nothing. But from people who lived through it, it's a realistic reaction too, from a certain degree as well. Yeah. And the fact that Harry has to try to process it for the rest of the chapter and feels old in a way he's never had before is just so perfectly on point for that kind of rhyme and rhythm.
2: And then there's also a really interesting comment, um, that is, is so true, but also just, it's, it's not what Harry thinks he needs to hear, but it is where, um, as I remember, Moody says, I thought you would want to see it. Mm -hmm. And the answer is absolutely not. Like this Mm -hmm. is not what, what Harry wants to see, but it's much more what he needs to see. And he will have wanted to see it. Yes. And it's that. Yeah. And I think he sort of starts to get it at the end of the chapter.
1: I, 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 We haven't honestly spent enough time with Mad-Eye to know, but I almost felt like he was fully aware and appreciative of what Harry's actual response was going to be and yeah. what his response may be in the, in the future when it comes to this. I, when he said, I thought you wanted to see it, I much more interpreted that as, I thought you needed to see this and you'll appreciate it later.
0: Yeah. You know, this is one another one of those moments with Mad-Eye where it is weirdly resonant with the um, the fake Mad-Eye that we had before. Where you mm-hmm. know when when Mad Eye took, um, I suppose it was Barty Crouch Jr. When he took Neville aside, yeah, um, after that particularly difficult class and and gave him a cup of tea and gave him a book that he knew he would would like. Yes, there were mm-hmm. ul- ulterior motives there. There was something else going on, but at the same time, that feels like a moment when he was so deeply embedded in who Mad Eye is that we also nevertheless got um, a real moment of the deep thoughtfulness that he has about what someone actually needs yeah. mm-hmm. in a particular moment Mad-Eye
2: Moody feels like
1: a Dumbledore that went to war mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a fun way of putting that, mm-hmm. I like that mm-hmm. I think that when I was reading it too, I almost almost viewed a certain element too of, not unpacking but almost sharing of pain going into it as well, of where Mad-Eye described as being oh look, I just found this But my reaction when reading it was that was a lie and that was in some way something that he's almost just kept in his back pocket and may stare at every now and then when nobody's looking and that was kind of how i went into interpreting the scene it made me feel very resonant and sad for the character during that Mm -hmm. um and then
2: the other thing interesting there is we got another mention of dumbledore's brother
0: uh, which
2: feels like a uh
1: sizzling fuse Mm -hmm.
0: yeah aberforce yep yep
1: Uh, Moving on to less dramatic things, Tonks' hair is tomato red, and that's not explained. (laughs) We will have theories about what that means in terms of the forecast for the day. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, Uh, And Harry's also realizing the utter emotional and relationship dangers of being a partner with Fred and George on business. Where he's suddenly realizing they're getting what from Mundungus? And if their mom finds out, am I disinherited too? I don't know if I could deal with losing Molly Weasley as being my pseudo-mom.
2: Yeah. Um, so there's a question that I wanted to ask that I think is more suited to this, like the discussion of the chapter. okay. Do you think that Mrs. Weasley went
1: to the boggart on purpose?
0: It's a really good question, <sighs> not
1: intentionally. subconsciously, given what she sees, add ah, something to unpack
2: because I really like yeah. it just really felt like a I need to feel shitty right now. Mm-hmm. move as opposed mm-hmm. to, like, I can. I, I'm the one. I'm the one that should go deal with this because it. Because I guess on the surface, to me, it makes more sense for Sirius or Mad Eye Moody or somebody else to go
1: deal with it. Yeah. I, that's another scene that I adored in the terms of the mirroring effect in some ways of the scene with Mad-Eye of where yes. this is the home front's kind of trauma and processing of war this is I, I don't know if Molly marched to war herself but she's still bearing it with her just in terms of the now decades of stress she's had from being in a family of warriors that feel the need to throw themselves into the fire every time there's a conflict mm-hmm. that just constant helpless worrying that has informed her soul it in some ways mirrored almost the idea of a depressed person going to do sad things just so they can have the world outside feel, represent what they're feeling inside. Right, and that's in terms sort of-, of how much she's had to put on, yeah. How much she's had to put on a smiley face and care for everybody around her while well, this is just simmering in her soul for decades now. Mm-hmm. I and sorry, sorry.
0: I was going to say just to that point, you know, the, the fact that she has done this in the midst of, um, and that she is experiencing this and re-experiencing this in, um, in the midst of what, like, really has been a joyous um, a joyous occasion. She's gotten great news. She's had, um, the party seems to have been a, a success and fun for everyone, even as Mad-Eye is doing his sort of march, th- you know, march through the trenches again. Um, it, I, I think it's a really astute point, BJ, that it does, it feels a little bit like I've got to leave this situation and go do, go deal mm-hmm. with something real now or go experience something real in some, in some ways because she knows it's coming. Um, she lived through it before. She knows it's coming.
1: I almost wonder to what degree mad saw it coming too because yeah. he, has, he has that odd little moment too of when you know, he says, oh, it's a booger. You want me to handle that for you, Molly? Yeah. Um, but I, I, Sarah, kind of like what you referenced, I really love the scene of both Lupin and also Sirius too trying to bulk her up afterwards when it comes mm-hmm. to what they saw in terms of just trying to present from their perspective logically it's not going to be like last time but for everyone in the room it somehow just still rings untrue doesn't matter if it's not going to be the we're outnumbered 20 to 1 we were unprepared it's still war we're all still marching to war it is going to be the same as last time i mean this whatever also scale whatever difference
2: yeah this also kind of feels like they're pulling out their old uniforms and sealing if they still fit and yeah And it's basically the people that are doing it are like, well, it's not going to be like last time. It's like, okay, but like, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Their descriptions of last time also just again, just set up the same things we saw in the picture. Man, the odds were stacked against them if any of their descriptions are accurate. I mean, 20 to one, the other side had a head start. We weren't prepared. We were constantly trying to catch up and dying in the process seems a miracle they even survived that last time around, much less they're now having to throw themselves into it again,
0: and I think that they are also you know I think that they that they are trying to hold on to a thread of hope that it won't that it won't be like last time because we are mm-hmm. at that weird point where a lot of the wizarding world actually doesn't believe that he's back right um that Voldemort mm-hmm. is back because of this sort of um media campaign that has been going on because of um a lot of what the what the Death Eaters undercover are putting out and, and how they're trying to control the narrative because of what Fudge is doing. And while our Order of the Phoenix people know that he is back and know what's going on, it's still so much under the radar that they actually then have this really dangerous kind of thread of hope that like, well, maybe it's actually not as bad, even as they know, they know, um, they know that it will be. But uh, trying to hold on to that is, is kind of devastating.
1: their position is just so uncertain of where they don't know what the ministry is going to do tomorrow it is equally likely in some ways even more likely in terms of the negative that the ministry will either declare war on voldemort or them come tomorrow evening yeah they have no way of knowing that if anything from the reaction so far it almost seems more like the ministry is going to raid them as being an illegal organization before too long Mm -hmm. but on that wonderfully depressing note Sarah, who won and who lost this chapter? I think you got options.
0: Well, yeah, I was sitting here thinking about it because I have not actively picked anyone yet. Because, well, because I didn't. But I, I think that going along with the tone shift that we've been talking about, and the way the way that these books are becoming more more sticky and more difficult, is hmm. that there are not clear. I think we're out of the land of clear winners and clear losers for a chapter for chapters. Um,
1: shades of Grey. I mean, I feel it, like...
2: It really is. We have some easy candidates and then hard candidates. I, I think mm-hmm. Molly is a loser is an easy candidate from, like, the start to Sh- the sure. end. And Yes, Ron over being, the
0: course of the chapter, certainly. Yeah. yeah.
2: Ron being a winner is sort of yes. an easy choice. Yeah. And I think that there is a whole lot of shades of grey, but if we go with our... Where do they start the chapter and where do they end the chapter?
0: Yeah. It's sort then of a hard... Under th- um, yeah, yeah, under that rubric, I think we have we have Molly and Ron, which i am I am perfectly fine with. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's
2: worth talking about, Harry, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know which category I'd put him in. we We talked about doing a yeah. character development uh, award subcategory yeah. Harry might
0: have won that one this chapter. he has been he put in the work. he put in the the personal work on himself,
2: yeah, um we, in we this really chapter. got. It something different from harry this time around which i thought was yeah. really interesting
1: um i almost feel i almost feel like harry got that moment that every kid goes through of seeing your parents as human yeah before you got to have honest conversations and vulnerable moments in adults in a way that he hasn't really had an opportunity previously mm-hmm. in both mad eye to a certain degree but certainly molly weasley who is more his mother than anybody else in the story and proudly accepts the title yeah he he got to see her in a light he's never had before and I, I almost hesitate to put Molly necessarily in the, like, had the worst chapter category, because it's more like, no, 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 we're just finally seeing the shit that she's been going through for three books. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I feel like that's actually been a lot of our discussion, the the thrust of a lot of our discussion around Sirius, too, right? Because we have named him loser of the chapter sometimes, but it's really just been an unveiling of what he has, has been dealing with, not new shit.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, but let's you're... go with Molly and Ron for this chapter. This was a very Weasley heavy chapter. Yep.
2: Yeah. Um, questions? There are questions.
1: BJ, after you. Unload it. Unload on us. Um,
2: all right, let's start out light. about how much money did Harry dump in that fountain compared to, say, <laughs> how much a broom <laughs> costs for the textbooks or something like that? Because this feels like.
0: Yeah. It Weasley certainly cha- feels like life changing he... money. Yeah, he, it certainly, I, I, my thought is that he probably could have paid for everybody's new textbooks with what he dumped out into the, into the fountain. It doesn't give an exact amount, but he, when he made the promise going in a couple of chapters ago, it sounded like a not insignificant amount of money. Yeah,
2: this felt like in today's money, like 500 to a thousand bucks
1: that he just like was like, all right, (laughs) plop.
0: That's, that's my sense of it.
1: It, it. (laughs) I enjoyed just the rich kid kind of reaction he does there where I'll put all my money in my pocket when he's when he he's going by the fountain. And to him, he, we have never seen Harry kind of even fully understand what money value is. He struggles almost with the with the, with the currency converter as much as we do cuz he doesn't he, he has just infinite amounts of money of stored away. He has whatever he needs for a given moment kind of category of stored away. Spencer. Uh, mm-hmm. Um is the description that we get from Sirius and Lupin about how behind they were and how much the odds were stacked against them in the prior war accurate? Or are they in some ways playing it up to make Molly
0: feel better? I think it's pretty accurate. Um, I think it's pretty accurate, and I think that one of the things that we we have been getting trickles of and we're just starting to get more information about is how... Um, how robust Voldemort's kind of network of influence was, mm-hmm. regardless of, as we've talked about before, are you a sympathizer, a supporter, or a death eater, right? Yeah. Um, and even if you're not actually any of those things, the campaigns of disinformation, um, the secrecy, the lies, all of that made was so deeply entrenched with how, um, and the campaigns of fear were so deeply entrenched with how the like everyday lived lives of people were were happening that um, I think that that this is an accurate representation of just how much of an uphill battle the Order of the Phoenix was was fighting against
2: um I this is not something well you probably can answer. Uh, is the voice in Harry's head his? Great question.
1: Hmm. Uh,
2: hmm. I, I just thought it needed to be asked and, and like I know it's gonna be a plot question, but like yeah. there are ways that
1: this doesn't sound quite like his voice. It
0: sounds different. Yeah, and it sounds different.
1: It's even almost called out at the end too by that uh, empty or invisible painting. Of yeah, first sign of, <laughs> of madness talking to your own head, and that's our closing line of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. I love that you mentioned the three categories of Voldemort sympathizes, but over else. Lucius Malfoy. If you had to assign him a category the first time around versus now, where would you put him? Uh, in terms of those three categories that you just defined,
0: yeah, that's interesting because like he is—he is technically a Death Eater, right? He is—he is a Death Eater, but he's pretty slimy. Um, going, he's more out for himself than he is. I—I um, I would describe as him as self-serving rather than maybe a true believer. It's a little unclear. It um, kind of feels
2: like he was caught up in being a Death Eater based on the people that he was with. Mm -hmm. And now he is like a major corporation being part and parcel to, uh, you know, maybe like the CEO of Volkswagen kind of deal rather than like,
1: you know, there even seem to be categories within Death Eaters. Like there's three, those three delightful, accurate categories, but like I would, I would never put Lucius at the same level as, um. Uh, what's the name of the female Death Eater? Uh, Bellatrix. Bella. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, she, like, the diehards. Yeah. The ones that have never stopped fighting the war effectively. Or and probably Wormtail even Snape. Is someone.
0: Co- what was that?
1: Or probably even Snape.
0: Probably even Snape. Um, or Wormtail is doing a completely different thing. And then you mm-hmm. have a lot of people who we, we know about because we've kind of seen them listed in the names of people who have showed up. But their motives are even less clear um mm-hmm. and i would imagine that they are all all particular particular to them
2: yeah um i think Peter? that's
1: all for me spence
0: uh, uh
1: no i mean i think that's good enough for right now i think that ends this on a pretty ni- pretty nice point uh what are we going to when it comes to the next chapter next uh, chapter, chapter 10. we have
0: chapter 10 luna lovegood
1: uh, uh do, do we know that person that name doesn't sound familiar
0: no we don't i'm,
1: presu- I'm presuming that's a name
0: it is yes yes <laughs>
1: Why are you laughing? What, I love what, what, this what character so much. <laughs> I'm trying to go to it. Is that her who is reading seemingly a newspaper upside down?
0: Yes, she is reading Quibbler upside down. And you'll remember the that uh, the Quibbler was what was given to Harry by Kingsley Shacklebolt in Arthur's office in the Ministry mm-hmm. of Magic.
1: She, she appears to be wearing Birkenstocks and socks. Uh, mm-hmm. And I what is that? Is that a wand in her hair?
0: Mm-hmm. What's not to love?
1: <laughs> okay. Is, can you tell us anything now to expect, or is it better to be a surprise with this no, character? No, no.
0: Come in fresh. Come in fresh.
1: Okay. Next time on Magum Reads. Yeah. Luna Lovegood. We'll see what that means.
0: This has been okay. really fun, guys. Yeah, this
1: is a blast. Looking forward to next time. <laughs>